Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. We may have said something about how this episode was going to be about children in Star Trek, but instead we are discussing Annika's trip to New York Comic Con and all the latest news. There was a lot of news. There was a lot of news and there was not a lot of motivation to do research into children in Star Trek. Because of the news, we were distracted. Oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely didn't have this problem before New York Comic Con. Yeah. I'll make you a list of kids the way I make a li- <laughs> made a list of moms and dads. So it'll work out. Great. Don't worry. That's, that's a really good idea. So you went to Comic Con. How was it? I did. It was great. It was a really good weekend, actually. I ended up getting to stay in the city instead of having to take the subway to Brooklyn, which was nice. My brother is always willing to host me, but it is a hour away. <laughs> this time I was within, you know, it took me minutes to walk there. It was pretty amazing. So I understand why people do that now. <laughs> yeah, it makes a big difference. <laughs> I was just lucky to be staying with a friend. You know, last year was a great New York Comic Con but it was half capacity and sort of half hearted a little. Yeah, I remember I would say like Marvel didn't come last year. Yes, I remember we talked about that. (laughs) So this year was back in full swing. That meant that it was super, super crowded, which, you know, I don't love, (laughs) but it also, it adds to the excitement. Yeah. They did require masks, but it was not very strictly enforced. I would say Mm. more like 40% at best people were masked. And even the people who were checking masks to, to get into panels, you had to like be masked to get, you know, while they were scanning you into the panel, but then not afterwards people were just taking them off as soon as they went past Mm. those people and the people who were scanning and like saying you have to be masked were also like not always masked an attempt was made attempt was made (laughs) but i appreciated it i was masked and i didn't get sick so yay i'm very glad to hear it but i ended up doing a lot more this year i would say than other years just because i had more time and it was, I, I don't know. The system is that you, for the big panels, you get into a virtual queue and you get to choose which ones you want to go to. And it's all based on who gets there first, much like purchasing tickets. Yep. And it was a mess. <laughs> it was a big mess that did not serve everybody. But that said, I much prefer that to getting up to get in a line at nine o'clock in the morning and waiting in line for an hour and a half to maybe get a wristband to maybe see one panel because you can't be in more than one line. No one's camping outside. So I liked this better. And to be fair, I got the panels that I wanted to get. So so it worked for me. And you got me a plush Murph. I did. Saturday was the big Star Trek day and I arrived before open so that I was in line for Flush Murph first thing in the morning. And 
after I got my Murph, I went and found someone who looked nice <laughs> and approachable and disinterested in the plush toy and asked them to please go get me one for my co-host. <laughs> well, I am intensely grateful. <laughs> my friend in Australia, she can't be here. They were like, okay. It wasn't a long line and it wasn't a lot of effort, but I still really appreciate that they did that for me. I am grateful to both of you. You and our unnamed non-listener, non-Trekkie ally. <laughs> he was like, do I have to get my picture taken? I was like, no, you just have to go get one from one of those people. <laughs> because they had a whole, you know, take a photo here set up, but it wasn't required. I'm just delighted. He's going to hang out with my Alpa and my signed photo of Jason Isaacs. And we're going to have a great time. It's going to be a very happy Murph. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hope that everybody can get a Murph. I hope that they, they, they Murph it up. We have complained, and I think a lot of people on Twitter have been complaining about the poor quality of merch for the last few years. It feels like the plush Murph is the best thing they've done in a very long time. And it's a real shame that it's only available to people who attended this one con on this one day. So I do right. hope that Murph comes out for general release and that they make more of an effort overall with their merchandising and stop putting up t-shirts that just say Q on the front because that's a bit misleading in the current climate. I don't want to start any fandom wars, but I just want to point out that I have five sections of Star Wars in my house, like full wall to wall, ceiling to floor, full wall, five Star Wars, and a half wall of Star Trek. It's very interesting, and I think it comes down to the fact that Paramount simply doesn't invest a lot of money in design and market research, whereas Disney has endless, endless buckets of money. They can make things, they can make things and risk that they won't sell well. You know, Star Trek pyjamas are going for $69 reduced from 99 and I got my low-key pyjamas for Australian 25 bucks. Disney can afford to lose money on this. I think Paramount probably can as well. And also, you know, you look at the, the comparative novel lines and Disney can afford to pay professional authors who are successful in their genres. Whereas I don't think that's true of Paramount. I don't think they're willing to pay. They do seem to be very worried about the bottom line. Yeah, but the result is, you know, investing a lot in this really inferior merch and that's not going to make them money either. Mm -mm. I mean, not as much as they could. I assume that people are out there buying their Star Trek shot glasses and their Q shirts, but... I think that there are people who are not me who love Star Trek and are willing to buy five walls worth of stuff that they don't actually like that much because it says Star Trek on it. Right. And I, I understand that because, for example, if Padme is on something, <laughs> I went through years of buying it just because it had Padme on it. And now Padme is actually on enough merchandise <laughs> that I can be choosy about it and yes. can say that'll make a really good gift because it's 
$200 and I can't really buy $200 thing for myself. <laughs> so I get it. And then as long as those people are buying it, then they, they don't need to go after me. I am never, <laughs> I am never the person that marketing people are going after. No, I'm just, I'm just not. I don't hit any of the right little check boxes. Mm. I do kind of think that they would like to appeal to us as an audience, but instead of putting out things that we would enjoy, they're going after the independent fan creators who are making unlicensed fan merch that we do buy. And I think that's really sad. And I think that those fan merch creators are filling a niche because I'm also in Avatar fandom and after many fellow years, there is some great Avatar merch out there. I'm talking about flying teenagers, not blue people. And so the fan creators have sort of moved on to other things because they're not needed anymore. And instead of nurturing this talent and licensing or giving them a license, Paramount is just shutting them down. And to me, as a fan, that's uh, short-sighted. But when did Paramount ever listen to us? Definitely do not. Speaking of people Paramount does listen to, <laughs> tell me about the panels. So it was one big panel mm. that was in three sections. So a half hour each for right. each of the crews, Discovery, Prodigy, and Picard. Mm -hmm. And... I would say that overall, it was very enjoyable. I definitely had a good time from being in line to post paneling with fans. Mm -hmm. So it was very successful. It was a full room because I got there super early because my feet hurt. <laughs> you I, were wearing I was, high heels. I was, I was looking forward to sitting. <laughs> so I got there super early and I was in like the first little line bit. But I was, you know, in the first little line bit with a whole bunch of Star Trek fans who were also there super early because they wanted good seats and mm. were willing to wait in line and were very excited. And so we chatted about, you know, what's our favorite show? What's our favorite characters and captains and what we like about the new series and how nostalgic we were for the old series and what we've done at other cons and who we've met and all these sort of different things. So it was a really great, like, extra time. It was like a mini con. Yeah. In, in Star Trek line with, yeah, I didn't know any of these people. My friends didn't have reservations, so they were waiting in the overflow line. So it was just a whole bunch of people. We were all like mostly ones and twos, but we all love Star Trek. So we all had that in common and just totally, absolutely got into great conversations about it, which was a very different contrast from the other lines I was in for the Amazon shows, which was, everyone was there for Lord of the Rings. Right. <laughs> there was like 10% <laughs> that were there for a wheel of time, but everyone was there for Lord of the Rings and they were all very nice and very excited, but we didn't have conversations. We didn't like talk to each other about elves or hobbits and the star wars line and admittedly it was like sunday morning which is never like mm. everyone's exhausted by that point but it was silent <laughs> the star wars line was like no and, and it wasn't star wars it was star wars and moon knight because it was oscar isaac okay. it was just quiet we were all just quiet even setting aside that Sunday morning is a terrible time for camaraderie, it kind of says a lot about Star Trek fandom versus 
other fandoms. Absolutely. I am very, very cynical about Trek Twitter and Trekkies are a family and hashtag we are Starfleet. But setting aside a few obnoxious loudmouths, if you meet a Trekkie in the wild, they're usually someone you can have a conversation with. Maybe you won't be best friends, but you have something in common. It's different at a con and in person mm. than it is online. I think it's, I even think online, a lot of people are default friendly and default yeah. excited about the fandom and just wanting to be like excited with other fans. But that enthusiasm online can come across hostile. <laughs> and, <laughs> and in person, it you know it may be a little awkward, but it, it gets past that and gets into something that's a little more comfortable. Hostile enthusiasm is my new Twitter name and possibly also the title of this episode. <laughs> we started with Discovery. Yes. Which I'm going to say was the best panel. Like, yeah. Put together presentation, get you excited about the new season, that kind of thing. The best this is what Discovery is and we represent it well. They were the most low-key and laid back. Mm. I don't want to say the others weren't professional because that's not true, but the Discovery crew was both professional and also we're still like super excited about Star Trek and we're all fans and mm. we're a family and we are just as excited to be here as you are but in this sort of like sheen of professionality <laughs> that the other two panels did not have. I feel like that's because Discovery, they're into their fifth season. They've had a lot of practice at this. And also everyone here is sort of at the peak of their career. They're not yes. just starting out like the prodigy actors and they're not coming out of retirement for one last job like the TNG slash Picard exactly. crew. Yeah, that is absolutely the, the difference. They are working actors, yeah. as you say, at the peak of their careers, and it shows. Yes. And I'm so happy that Anthony Rapp was there because I know he's doing the Kevin Spacey trial and has been giving evidence all week, and it sounds absolutely harrowing. And so I'm really glad that he got to start the week out on a high note of doing something he seems to enjoy with people he likes being around and an audience who appreciates him. Yes. The cast members were Anthony Rapp, Wilson Cruz, and then Sneaker Martin Green was there virtually. Mm -hmm. So it was a giant <laughs> Sneaker Martin Green over everyone else. Uh, she was sitting in her captain's chair <laughs> and it was amazing. And she is just so good. She is like the peak Star Trek ambassador and she did so well. And then like Wilson Cruz, I just have to mention, was wearing the most amazing coat. He came out on stage and I gasped. <laughs> I was like, what is he wearing? I was in love with the whole look. Wilson Cruz always looks good, but he was like, I'm going to top everyone's expectations and be beyond amazing. And he succeeded. TV Insider had a photo shoot with Wilson and Michelle Paradise that day, and they both looked great. And I love the dynamic of he is very dressed up and put together and she turned up in what I assume she wears every day. That is just the perfect inversion of the usual gender role at this thing. 
It's perfect. We stan a queer showrunner and her queer cast. There. Perfect. I'm just so excited for the season five trailer. It looks amazing. It looks like not necessarily lower stakes than previous seasons, but different stakes. This is not an end of the universe scenario. So last year's trailer, I remember very well because as is always the case, the actors don't ever get to see these things before these panels either. So they showed the trailer for, I guess it was season four, and Adira flew to Perio. They gasped and they said, I think I'm in a Marvel movie. (laughs) (laughs) I carried that away with me. I was like, yes, Mm. I understand that reaction. And that's great. And I and I enjoyed it. However, this trailer did not have the Marvel movie sheen to it. And it felt more fun. Yes. And I liked the fun. I was excited at the idea that it doesn't even have to be lower stakes, just that they get to enjoy what mm. they're doing <laughs> instead of stressing about it completely. Yes. And I'm very excited for Callum Keith Rennie as this new regular character, Captain Rayner, because, you know, they give a quick synopsis of each new character and it's like, he's a great warrior, but he struggles in peacetime. And I'm like, hmm, I think they had a captain like this earlier. I, I think it went kind of badly for him. And like, I want to think that Captain Rayner is not going to be a second Lorca, but at the same time, it's Callum Keith Rennie. And therefore... How is he not going to be? (laughs) And so, like, doing Lorca again, but with a different outcome, is really exciting. I guess that's probably me doing it wrong again. But, you know, come (laughs) up with new ideas, guys, but also keep doing this specific idea that I really like. Yeah. I am so excited. I love Callum Keith Rennie because of Battlestar Galactica. Yes. I was that person. (laughs) And... I know he's terrible and the worst and an evil silent. However, I love him. I just think he's one of those actors who never quite got the lead role he deserved. Wait, wasn't he in Due South? Wasn't he a lead in that for a really long time? I don't know what that is, so I don't know. Oh, it's one of those shows that just had a really, really big and long-running and still existing slash fandom. That has... It sounds like the Civil War era or something. So oh, oh, no. He plays a Mountie who comes to, I think, Chicago to fight crime with an American cop. And it's a buddy show. And then there's like this big division in the fandom because the main Canadian character, Ray, was replaced by a different Canadian character named Ray. And so there are like Ray Wars where the fans of Ray 1 hate Ray 2 and then there are the people who love both of them. And I'm pretty sure Callum Keith Reddy was one of the Rays. That sounds hilarious. I'm definitely never going to watch it. But it sounds hilarious. It's definitely one of the shows. Like, I don't think it's ever aired in Australia. I've never watched it. It's never been available to me in any way. I've never sorted it out. But somehow it's one of those shows where I was aware of it for many, many, many years before I learned there was also a female regular character. (laughs) It's a buddy cop show. Right. More than one Canadian named Ray. Yes. I am so delighted that I get to be the one to tell you about Due South. (laughs) 
cannot. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Callum Keith Rennie is in his Silver Fox era. He looks mostly human with a nice Silver Fox beard, but with ears. alien ears, he looks like he wandered off the set of Rings of Power. And I'm into yes. it. And if he is Lorca 2.0, then I guess I'm going to ship him with Admiral Vance. I don't have a problem with him being Lorca 2.0. No. The full paragraph, every single line in the paragraph is like, oh, so Lorca. Right. (laughs) You know, leads from the top and does things and apologizes second. (laughs) So I'm here for it. Bring it on. But then the last sentence was something about maybe he can learn. Mm. (laughs) So I look forward to him learning yes to be a good guy from our crew (laughs) which is what i wanted for Lorca before i knew about the reveal exactly super excited for that i love that michelle paradise who only came into the show late in season two looking back at season one and going hey we can tell this story again and tell it in a new way because I think that is one of the things that Star Trek does particularly well. It retells mm-hmm. its own stories and finds new meanings in them. Very good, good, good. I love it. Yes. And we have two other new regulars, Laark? Lark? Lack? Lark. Lark. I think it's Lark. Lark and Mall, because I thought it was Lark, L-O-C-K. When oh. they were, like, I didn't, I didn't get the La'an, Laark thing. But also, the way that they were talking about them, it sounded like, you know, a Bonnie and Clyde mm. type thing going on. And so, Bonnie and Clyde, Lock and Mall. Mall, mm. was... do you have Mall in American slang as, like, the name for a gangster's girlfriend? Yes. It's, it's also used in Australia as, like, a sort of word for a lower class girl. Like, we, we'll say it ironically, game on, Molls. So I think it's really cool to have. The first one, the gangster one, yes. The lower class, not that I am aware of, but I... No, I I think it must be very Australian. don't know all. I'm going to make at least three bad puns in our Discovery coverage, but I just think it's cool to have this character who is a courier-turned-criminal named Mole. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. That's why I was getting the Bonnie and Clyde vibe. (laughs) A man and a woman who Mm -hmm. are outlaws together and one of them is named after 1920s gangsters yep yep clearly this is bonnie and clark no i'm into it i hope that they have a happier ending and not the whole impotence business i love them i ship them i can't wait to meet them and they talked about the michael and book couple relationship well yes yes it was brought up to sequa that they were in a bad place at the, mm. at the end of season four. And she, of course, didn't say anything binding, but did say that she was pulling for them and hoped that they could get past it all and get back to their previous state of happiness. So me too. Mm. <laughs> Same. Yes. <laughs> and... I hope that I'm okay with breaking couples up to bring them back together because it's television and that's what yeah. happens. I am I'm used to that. It's okay, I get it. But I I don't want 
book to fade away into the background and disappear and, and no longer be a part of it because all he was was right. Michael's boyfriend. And I also just really like them together and I want them to work it out. I am not too concerned about Book just being left behind as a character because he was quite prominent in the trailer. And I think having two former courier characters turned outlaws means his presence oh, will be right. valuable to the story. I believe that's where he will he will. Yeah. Shine. And I really like the idea that you know, Star Trek is terrible with the will-they-won't-they they romance in this era. They don't really do it. But having gotten them together, I think they can recreate that tension with the will-they-get-back-together story. Because it's like Picard and Crusher and Janeway and Chakotay. There is no doubt that they love each other, but can they make this relationship work under these circumstances? Mm. And I wish them much better luck than either of those other couples. <laughs> yes. You say here, potential musical episode? Yes, so it was asked uh -huh. in the Q&A, could we get a musical episode? And the cast were like, we have been asking for this <laughs> for five years. <laughs> Everybody is on board. So it's just a, you know, come up with an actual reason to do it type thing, which fair. Yeah. I think it could definitely be terrible. <laughs> so I understand wanting to do it well instead mm. of just wanting to do it. Absolutely. And I think the fashion for musical episodes is behind us. I think Glee mm. killed the television musical genre. But if I were Alex Kurtzman, what I would do is I would record an animated Lower Deck style musical mm. discovery episode and I would just drop it into the Lower Deck season without saying anything like boop yeah yeah like how last week's lower decks was a peanut hamper episode this is unexpectedly an episode of discovery i like it maybe there's a hologram of captain boimler in the background of a museum or something but other than that it's just 100 percent. oh the uss beckett mariner Oh. I would captain that ship. I would captain oh. it so badly. And you, you would make Beckett proud. I would. I would. But sadly, for some reason, I'm still not Alex Kurtzman. I wake up every morning and look in the mirror and no, still me. And he's still him. Yeah, look, I don't we mind just... him. I just think he is playing it safe and I understand why. But as with the merch, I think he could take more risks. Yes. Yes. Take more risks. Yeah. I, I know. It, I, I feel like the people who are in charge of television these days are people who came up during the take no risks era. Yes. It was right after the risky era and it became like, you know, the backlash. And so it's hard. It's hard for them to get past that. You know, they have to go outside their safe zone. And we certainly see with the HBO discovery merger that the people running production like running film companies and television companies right now don't yes. really seem to like the mm -mm. film and television media that nope. they're creating and that is very troubling let's talk about prodigy in a couple of weeks we have new episodes and our children yeah. are back yeah. 
10 more episodes of Prodigy starting October 26. So I think if I've checked properly, that means our next episode is the beginning of our Prodigy run. And hopefully they'll give us a break between Prodigy and Discovery. I don't think we know when Discovery is coming back. Picard is February 14, I think. Or 15. I know it's like Valentine's Day, but not quite. It's either the 13th or the 15th. (laughs) And I just, I just find that funny. Yes. It's like, it's a Valentine for the Star Trek fans. Thank you. Take it back. But we're talking about Prodigy. (laughs) Let's talk about Prodigy. So like I said, this panel was a little less put together. Mm-hmm. They had the, the creatives and the creatives were not very talkative. And they had Brett Gray, who plays Doll, who I love as Doll and just seems to be a darling young man. Yes. But he was very much just happy to be here. Yep. <laughs> I think he like actually said that at one point <laughs> because they they forgot to, they like mentioned everyone else on stage and forgot him and it was like, oh, I'm sorry. And he was like, oh no, no. <laughs> I'm good. I'm just happy to be here. Okay, so. but that is such a microaggression for the only black person on the stage. I mean yes, but I, I do think in this case it was the young person on stage. Well that certainly fits with everything else happening in Star Trek. <laughs> this is basically the first big thing that he's done and he's i don't think he's shy but i think he's just sort of laid back and Mm. not like he's and compared to kate mulgrew and jamila jamil he is shy because like everyone is those ladies are extroverts and it is certainly not unheard of for an actor to be less good at expressing himself without a script Yes, he will grow into it. I'm not worried about him. And he's doing great as Dahl, so... Yeah, that's what we need. As for the creatives, everything I know about them says that they're really good writers and they run a really good room and they're not the stage guys. You don't put them up on a stage. Nope, nope. I don't think that Ben Keepen said a word. I don't remember (laughs) him speaking. (laughs) If he did, it clearly wasn't anything that had any impact. But I feel like he was just there. Mm. He is very attractive. Oh, good. And that's it. That's all I can say about him. I don't think anyone goes into animated children's media because they love the limelight for themselves. No, no. And the Hageman brothers were very... Also, just happy to be here. Stop talking to us. We don't have anything to say. I also get the impression that they're children's media creators first and Trekkies second, which I think is Mm. why Prodigy is as good as it is. And I think that's an approach that they should be taking more. But it also means that you put them on the stage of a Star Trek convention and that's not their comfort zone. Which, again, no shame. Yes. And it was okay. None of the other people needed to talk because Kate Mulgrew was perfectly willing to just talk her entire half hour by yes. herself. And Jamila Jamil sort of knew that. And so she wore something ridiculous that I loved mm. and was also like a super fangirl. Like she was tweeting about this panel days before it happened. Yes. Because she was so excited to be a part of Star Trek and to be on the Star Trek panel. And I thought that was adorable. And so the two of them were sort of like very, very different versions of extroversion (laughs) that were (laughs) battling it out on stage. I'm very bad with faces. And Jamila's outfit at the whole con was like 
heart-shaped sunglasses and a black coat with red inflatable details shaped like lips. And yep. because she has a heavy blunt fringe and dark hair, I thought that was Ella Purnell until yesterday. Ella is a white woman and Jamila is South Asian. And you think, you'd think I would have stopped at some point and put two and two together and realised that I was not looking at Ella Purnell. I cannot be trusted to identify faces. In your defense, she was wearing the heart-shaped glasses the entire time. She never took off her sunglasses, so there was very much a, you know, a, a woman of mystery <laughs> kind yes. of thing going on there. And and she was it was animated. Like the thing about her amazing outfit is that she looked like a cartoon character. Yeah. So it was perfect. I was like, this is my kind of woman and my kind of fashion <laughs> that she is dressed for the medium. That she was like making a statement about what she was doing there. And so I was completely behind the whole thing. It was amazing. But she was definitely not Ella Purnell. That's no, no, they're very different people. And yes, if I'd seen her eyes, I would have known because they do have completely different faces and in no way resemble each other. But I love how enthusiastic Jamila is about this role because sometimes, you know, you get a big name actor in an animated role and it's a job and there's nothing wrong with that. But she's a random ensign on one of the, yeah. the ships, but she's just like, it's a Star Trek role. I'm in Star <laughs> Trek. It was great. It was adorable. And she talked about how like Next Generation was her entrance. And so she, she's like, I'm like, going to hyperventilate when, when they all come on stage. It was, you know, it's like she was one of us. That is so, so cool. And then we got the trailer and my children are back. And I'm I like, know. you don't have to join Starfleet, kids. Just get back to the Federation and build whatever lives for yourselves you choose. But also, I guess if you choose to join Starfleet, that's fine too. Whatever. Obviously, we're going to watch the episodes, but I was concerned that there was this, oh, we're not good enough for a Starfleet concept, which reminded me of Ray deciding that she couldn't have the lightsaber anymore, even though she'd been using the lightsaber for two years at that point it chose her and so i want these kids to have whatever they decide they want but i'm excited for doll backstory i'm excited for gwyn's memories it's all very exciting i'm gonna do like a rewatch of the first 10 so that i am completely caught up and and reminded of all the things that I love about this crew to get ready for the new episodes because I can. Yeah. <laughs> they are a reasonable length and they go pretty quickly and I just love being immersed in this universe. Someone mentioned at the panel that they put as much effort into what we see mm. as the action. And I, I was like, oh yeah, you can tell. You can yeah, tell that yeah. every single frame of this show is considered <laughs> and chosen and made that way. It's just so beautiful to look at. It is, and it's so thoughtful in its writing. You know, they announced that Admiral Jellico, Captain Jellico from Chain of Command yes. is back. And I did not have my usual knee-jerk, oh no, a legacy character reaction because this is Prodigy and I know that he is going to serve the story and the story is ultimately about the kids. 
And my right. theory is that he is going to be there to prove that Admiral Janeway, the flesh and blood Janeway, will protect the kids over blindly following Starfleet orders. Because, you know, a sympathetic captain, a sympathetic Starfleet captain always needs an admiral to butt up against. Yes. And I'm excited for dueling Janeways. Yes. <laughs> I'm very into that. I loved that both Hollow Janeway was impressed by Admiral Janeway mm. and said, like, oh, you're going up against me? Good luck. But then a few seconds later, we see Admiral Janeway saying something like, who are these kids? And those kids are Hollow Janeway's mentees. And so yes. it's like, they're impressed with each other. And I just, Shipper? I love that. I love that for Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> I was, you said shift them. <laughs> I did. <I'm, laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that's not there, but. I mostly think that I hope this is a catalyst for Hollow Janeway to develop her own identity beyond her programming, the same way the Doctor grew beyond Lewis Zimmerman. I think that is really a cool concept and a cool idea, and I want self-actualization and independence for all of Star Trek's artificial life forms. And I want Admiral Janeway to meet Hollow Janeway and realize that this is like the doctor, not yes. like a hologram of herself. Yes. <laughs> That's what I want more than anything. Not just a copy, but a new person. But a new person, a different person. It's like they're sisters. They share a certain backstory, but they're not the same. I was just going to say, I know I just said I ship it, but it's also... <laughs> A chance for Janeway, who has no children, to have a legacy in the form of an individual, a person, not just a crew member or someone she's mentored, but someone who is part of her. So now I feel really gross about when you said that you ship it, and I immediately thought Chakotay ships it. <laughs> and then I considered Chakotay and the two Janeways. Oh no. And now I'm upset no, about no. that because you said. She's like her daughter. Yeah, now I'm mad at Chakotay. Chakotay, stop. What are you doing? I know I just made this up, but still. I think that relationships can be complicated and don't necessarily map onto biological family lines as we understand them. But I think that there needs to be some sort of connection between Janeway and Hollow Janeway. And yes. Yeah. And then I also like, because remember, I'm going to cry thinking about this, but remember when... There was that episode where they're all split up and then Dahl ran to, yes! to Janeway like she was his mom and like I started crying and I'm crying now. If there's a through line from Admiral Janeway to Hollow Janeway and then Hollow Janeway to these kids, it's like they get to be part of the family too. Yes. And part of the legacy. Mm. I like to think that when they get back to the Alpha Quadrant, Rock Talk takes a few years before she actually attends the academy and it's purely so that I can have her in the same class as Elnor. Oh now I'm really gonna cry. <laughs> okay because I was thinking it's the wrong era unfortunately but I want to see Rock Talk and Jayla oh, hang out yeah. together. Yeah. It would be a real good like great bros. I think it's a sort of lost little girl trope 
Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Star Trek is a place where lost little girls grow up to be amazing women. Yeah. Uh, oh, Elmore. Should we talk about Picard? Yes. So the trailer confirmed that we were correct to decide not to cover this week to week when it comes out. I think we might be the only people who are not excited for Star Trek Picard. So I have a true love-hate relationship with this series. Hmm. That puts it really well. Because I am super invested in the characters. And that even includes the TNG characters, because I do actually want to catch up with Jordy and his daughters. Yeah, I need to know what Beverly's doing. I do want to know what Beverly's doing, and I do want us to get closure of something with Picard and Crusher. But I just, I miss Rafi. I miss Elnor. I miss Soji. Like, of course I miss my Romulans. Yeah. I'm literally never going to stop missing my Romulans. I love them so much. And yet they're stuck in this terrible show. Yeah. (laughs) And so I have this problem where I want to put Picard, like, you know, I hate ranking shows and I I don't do it, but Mm. if I did rank that, I want to put Picard last, but also I love Narek and Nerissa so much that I also want to put it like third. (laughs) And so I get really angry about the whole thing Mm. because the things that I love in Picard, I love with my whole body. And the things that I don't love in Picard end up at the bottom of the list. Yeah, it's just it has had so much potential from the beginning and absolutely squandered it. It had amazing characters and an extraordinary cast of actors and most of them are gone. It had brilliant premises that it would drop at the end of every season. Midway through the season. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They wouldn't even go the whole season with the great concepts. I realise that I'm still deeply upset about the ableism of season two, and I don't think I can get past that. And yet, I really care about the TNG characters, and I care about Rafi, and like you, I need to know how this story ends. I just, I don't trust Terry Metalis as a writer to give the TNG characters a better ending than the actual Picard characters got. Now that you've said that, I am very, very worried. We'll try to look surprised when Geordie goes back in time to live in the 20th century. Oh my god. My little list here, I just, I I watched the trailer Mm -hmm. and the first thing that I got out of the trailer was, I miss Eleanor. I'm just really upset that Eleanor is not in this. I feel like he has a place on Rafi and or Seven's ship. Like, yeah, there is a place for him. There was no need to get rid of him. It has to be budgetary. I mean, they kept him in season two and he was barely in season two. So like, I would rather have the level of engagement that we got in season two, which is like nothing, Mm. (laughs) than just completely he's not here. 
See, I don't think it's budgetary. I think they just wanted to get rid of all of the new characters and they only kept Rafi because they knew there would be an outcry if Seven's girlfriend was removed from the series. Seven's black girlfriend. Yes. Who is or seems to be the subject of a monologue by Worf about how she's violent and irrational and needs to be stopped because, God forbid, we let Michael Dawn get through a day of work without a microaggression? God forbid that we respect a black woman? Also, he says, like me. Yes. Like I did. So it's like, I've been tamed Mm. by Starfleet and the Federation, and now we're going to do it to her too. So even if he's not talking about Rafi and he's talking about the the villain, still bad. Right, because... I'm sorry, but Worf could certainly engage in violence, but I would never have called him a violent and irrational character on TNG or DS9. That is not who Worf was. That is not who Worf ever was. No. And I hate the reimagination of him as such. And it troubles me that we get... You know, finally some respect to Geordie and to LeVar Burton and Geordie gets to have a family and have these beautiful daughters who are successful and, you know, good people. They have to be good people, right? And at the same time throw Worf under the bus. I think Geordie would make a great dad. Absolutely. Even with all of his issues. Yeah. Even, like, not the rewritten better Jordy. I think Jordy, as in TNG, would make a great dad. That wasn't his problem. He's one of those guys who is a terrible husband, but a great father. I'm very happy for him in that. Mm-hmm. And, but it is weird. I, I honestly feel like Michael Dorn has given his entire life to Star Trek. Yeah. And Star Trek has never done right by him. No. People say that Worf got good in Deep Space Nine. That's a lie. Worf got more attention in Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. Worf got actual storylines that were about Worf and not about, like, Picard. Or the Klingon Empire as an abstract. When he was in in Deep Space Nine. However, his characterization was kind of awful. Yes. And he was still the token... Klingon human wharf person. Yeah. And still had to represent the Federation and Starfleet and the Klingons and the Klingon Empire at exactly the same time, so no one was ever happy with him. Yeah, which is kind of fascinating, but you just want to give the poor man a break. And they also never, like, used that for anything. They just Mm. did it to him, but it still wasn't his storyline. Because it wasn't about him and his feelings. So it's just, it seems, and, you know, maybe he'll have an amazing storyline in Star Trek Picard. But my impression is that he is going to be the token Federation Starfleet Klingon Klingon Empire pirate good guy, bad guy. There he is. And, like, Zen guy. Yeah! (laughs) He's going to be Yoda. And... We all know, I hate Yoda. So, (laughs) not into that. I just think Rafi has never been treated particularly well by the narrative. And worse, fandom... By the fandom. A lot of people in fandom hate her and seem really eager to see Worf, quote-unquote, put her in her place. Oh, God. Uh, No, I know, I know. 
I don't think the racism <laughs> there is intentional, I... but I don't think it's not there. How can you look at Rafi or look at Rafi and Worf and not see race? It's part of them and their storyline. I know we want to live in this, in the 24th century, race doesn't matter, but guess what? We don't live in the 24th century. And based on what I've seen in quote unquote Star Trek Picard, <laughs> race matters in the 24th century. Yeah. Therefore, I love Michelle Hurd as another person who has just never been done right by anything she's ever been in. There are so many that I don't know if it's because white people and mostly white men run Hollywood <laughs> that we are stuck here and can't tell black women's stories well. But um, Shonda Rhimes can't do everything. I would love to see Shonda Rhimes Star Trek. <laughs> if she's into that, oh. I'm there for it. <laughs> oh, that would be fascinating. Because she like she writes soap operas, but Star Trek is a space opera. How do we make this happen? Do you think a Kickstarter <laughs> would do it? Or do we just write some letters? Or We need to start tweeting at her. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Shonda, have you ever considered Star Trek? P.S. We're in no position to offer you this job. We just think it should happen. <laughs> but um, also, go watch. I'll pick out some of the scenes from the good episodes of Star Trek Picard, and I'll send them to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of Rafi. And, and you can make a really good show centered on her. Yeah, good yeah. story. Good yeah. plan. How much time can Bridgerton take up, really? Like, you know, she's got time in her schedule. Anyway, what I am into is the Picard crusher of it all. Except, I hate <laughs> that it seems like the whole thing with Laris is just like, whoops, that's over. <laughs> I hate that Beverly is being damseled. I hate that we have yet another season which appears to open with someone seeking out Picard's help because he is the specialist man in the galaxy. The only one! He's the only one that they, they can go to for help. Everyone who complains about Michael Burnham being the focus of Discovery should try watching Picard and bring that energy there. The fact that the series begins with him being retired for 10 plus years mm. and yet... And He's yet. the only man in the entire Star Trek universe. Maybe it's just that we're following Picard and out there there are like distress signals specifically calling for Admiral Clancy or Esri Dax or Ensign Jones that no one has ever heard of or, you know, Boimler. <laughs> I will send... Distress call to Boimler. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> I love the Picard Crusher, but I hate everything around it. I am hanging my hat on the fact that Gates McFadden seems really happy. Yes. And if anyone deserves a storyline written for her, mm. it's Gates McFadden. Your categories. So, I agree. My favorite part of the trailer was when Beverly is in a stasis tube. Yes. And Picard comes across it and, and wipes it away and sees her beautiful face and looks very sad. Yeah. Like he's done horrible things and he's lost 
the love of his life. Laris. And <laughs> look, you can't make Picard Laris happen. It's not going to happen. I just want to keep on acknowledging that this was a whole thing that we were meant to care about. Look, I never cared about it, so therefore, <laughs> that was a fling. He needed to learn to love again, and she was there. But right. now he's going to go have his actual love affair. Okay, but if they've killed Laris off screen the way they did Shabon, I'm going to flip a table. I and I agree. I agree. We that might have to flip totally that table fair. together because I'm not very strong. But let's a table say Laris realized that she was way too good <laughs> for Jean-Luc Picard and she bounced. She has eloped with Admiral Janeway and they are very happy together. I'll take Clancy too. Yes. Either one. Perfect. We're good. Yes. She eloped with unexpectedly alive time traveling Katrina Cornwall. <laughs> Unexpectedly a lifetime traveling. Oh, you've just got to cover a lot Perfect. together there. Anyway. Laris canonically time travels. Oh, yeah. Therefore. Mm. I know I said that I hate the damselizing of Beverly, but I'm also a big fan of the finding someone in a tube yes. visual. So I'm really <laughs> torn. It's the Snow White of it all. Yes. It is really getting to me. And the thing is, <laughs> you're going to cut this, but I'm going to say it anyway. The thing is that in Snow White, <laughs> Snow White matters and Snow White's prince does not. <laughs> Snow White's prince is not a character enough to have a name. Right. Therefore, the important person is Beverly. Yeah. And Picard is just the vehicle mm. <laughs> to get to her story. Yes, and that's kind of how I'm approaching the whole season. Lots of things are going to happen, most of them are going to annoy me, but Beverly will have a story. That's right. And Amanda Plummer is there, and I was like, I've seen her in so many things and I love her. I've seen her in almost nothing, but I love her. She is one of those actresses that is in a a tiny, tiny, tiny role Mm. and super memorable. Like She was in the second Hunger Games. Yes. And barely speaks. And yet, I know she was in that movie. And I, I, you know, think of her as a big part of it. She was the Oracle in Battlestar Galactica. Again, tiny role. Never forget. Huge, huge impact. Yeah. And I love the fact that Christopher Plummer's daughter is in this. Yes. And there's even a shot in the trailer of her chair rotating. The way he twirls in his chair and quotes Shakespeare and my favourite part of my favourite Star Trek movie. And Thomas Decker from Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, and also Janeway's Hollow Novel and A Nexus Dream is glimpsed. First of all, the fact that... I didn't know Thomas Decker played those two kids. Mm. And the fact that those two kids are the same actor is already amazing. Yes. Nexus Child and Evil Hollow Child. Yes. (laughs) Amazing. The fact that it was Thomas Decker, I mean, in my defense, they're very blonde. Yes. (laughs) Nexus Child looks like an evil doll. I did not know (laughs) that it was Thomas Decker. But um, that is great. Yes. Talk about people I want to see more of. Yeah, he just sort of disappeared for a while after Terminator the Sarah Conical 
Sarah Connor Chronicles, Connor Chronicles was cancelled. And he was the weakest and least interesting part of that show, but he was also really good in it. Like, that, that is just the Man. strength of that show. Lena Headey. I know. And Summer Glau. You're not going to go up against that and, no. and be and not be the weakest link. But then we have, okay, look, so I was expecting lore because Brent Spider's in this yeah. and Data's dead. Yeah. So, I mean, I, on one hand, at least he's not one of those annoying Sungs. <laughs> like, at least he's not whatever his name is from season two or whatever his name is from season I one. I just want to say that lore is the original annoying Sung. Way back in season one of The Next Generation. Maybe Beverly will kill him. Again. And it will be a, a circle. <sighs> an Annika circle. Oh, oh. Because that's how I fell in love with Star Trek The Next Generation. Was Beverly threatening <laughs> Lore and... Maybe the whole reason that Beverly's in danger is that Lore has figured out that she's where his problems began and he's gone after her 30 years later for revenge. More than 30 years later. He's not a clever android. Okay, okay. so a couple things about Lore. Mm. Yes, he's the original annoying Sung. However, he's still the least annoying of yeah. the annoying Sungs by far. Yes. Okay? Because in season one of Star Trek The Next Generation, Brent Spiner wasn't Brent Spiner yet. And so he wasn't Brent Spinering all over everything. It's true. It's very true. He acted in those days. And two, Lore had a, like a connection to Hugh. I don't know yeah. if you remember this. No, I made my poor flatmate watch Descent part one and two because I knew that Hugh was in Picard. So, right. So sorry. there is the tiny percentage chance that Hugh will be remembered <laughs> and they'll ever mention his name again. Mm -hmm. That is Possible. true. Which also means there is the even more infinitesimal chance that they will mention the Borg Reclamation Project, which is the best thing that ever happened. And uh, has completely disappeared. Yes, yes. After the first season. What if Shonda Rhimes does a mini-series about the Borg Reclamation Project? Perfection. Yeah. Yep. Make it happen. Yeah. Dear Shonda. <laughs> so, like, Lore is okay. I'm okay with Lore. I'm, mm. I'm not excited, but I'm not going to throw things about Lore. Paolo Moriarty. What the fuck? What the fuck, man? Is a deep cut I didn't need. I mean, it's almost self parody. People were very excited. The crowd went wild. My line friend who I sat next to, we like bonded during the line and then we sat next to each other throughout the panel. She was very excited. She loves that actor. And Lots of people do. Like, we all loved the nanny. The fact that there are three villains mm. that do not appear to be working together. Yes. Means that Star Trek Picard Season 3 is going to have the exact same problem that Star Trek Picard Season 1 and Star Trek Picard Season 2 <laughs> had, which is way too many plots. Yeah. My only feeling about Holo Moriarty is why and who would do this. But if Stephanie Beecham returns, I will die. And on my deathbed, I will withdraw some of my claims. Just assuming that that's Hala Moriarty's girlfriend. Yes. 
Okay. The Countess Regina Regina Bartholomew. That's not how it's pronounced. I'm sorry. It's an Regina. Anyway, things we discussed around the dinner table in my family when I was young. Yeah. Uh, obviously, what we really need, what Star Trek Picard was missing, Liz, was rogue holograms. Oh, you're right. You're right. We needed, definitely, definitely what we needed, needed more of that. Absolutely. And you know, I know you said we have three villains, but. I'm going to say it now. Sila is definitely going to turn up. You're just like, look, that's not even. Um, I do remember like them saying that the main villain was going to be a Romulan. And yeah, and I was looking at Amanda Plummer really intently. And she, she seems was not Romulan. Yeah, and, and thanks not to Romulan. Rings of Power, I've spent a lot of time peering at people's ears trying to figure out whether or not they're elves, and. So I, I used those skills. I transferred those skills to Star Trek, and she seems to have round ears. Both Vatic and unnamed character played by Thomas Decker are like dressed in Riemann chic, mm. you know, where the slaves of the Romulans yep. outfits. Which begs the question: What happened to Remus when Romulus blew up? Nothing Just good, wondering. I'm going to assume. But um, that makes me really optimistic that we're going to get back to having some Romulan nonsense in this series, because I really miss it. we just like it. They're also vaguely dressed like the Borg Reclamation people, so yeah. I'm just saying. There are tiny little <laughs> seedlings. They could blossom into something just for me. Also, this supports my terrible crack theory that Thomas Decker's character is a clone of Shinzon, the clone of Picard made by the Romulans and raised as a Riemann slave in Star Trek Nemesis, the beloved movie that we all think of very fondly. Very fondly. We love Star Trek Nemesis. I mean, that's everyone's favourite. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love Definitely. it. So good. For those anyway. of you not watching the Zoom video, which is everyone, Annika just made a vomiting motion. I mean, this is, it's way too packed. There are way too many protagonists mm -hmm. because there are seven of them. And there are way too many villains because there are three to five of them. And this is going to be a mess. And it's also not going to have anything to do with anything that ever happened beforehand because something bad is happening to Beverly. Mm. Oh, so... I, have, I have bad news for you. There are nine protagonists. You forgot Seven and Rafi. Oh, no. I forgot Seven and Rafi. That's how bad it is. I mean, the writers also, I assume, will forget them. Probably not Seven. Seven is their token nod to Star Treks that aren't TNG. Do you remember when Nemesis was being made, they really, really wanted Seven of Nine to have a cameo? She was meant to be like a guest at... Troy and Riker's wedding. I did not. No, I have never heard that before. Oh, it was a thing that I read in an interview with Jerry Ryan. And she was still dating Brown and Braga at the time. And she was like, I don't know any of these people. Why would I be at their wedding? It's actually Kate Mulgrew who needs the cameo. And she was right. But at this stage, Seven's presence in Picard feels like her presence at that wedding. A sort of token nod to the fans who love crossovers I mean, and she's a very beautiful woman and therefore the seven and picard relationship makes sense yes imagine if they interacted so i really like i was super into it, the the idea of that in the first season where they knew each other but weren't close mm. and then they were going to become close 
Like, that was a cool idea. Yes, imagine if they had actually become close. Did it happen? Because somehow she inherited the La Serena for reasons that I still don't understand when Rios went back to Starfleet for reasons that I still don't understand. <laughs> and yeah, like a lot happens that doesn't make sense. And it seems like a lot is going to continue happening that doesn't make sense. Seven is still in Starfleet and she's a commander, but also in charge of a ship. So good for her. And uh, Rafi is not in Starfleet anymore. What happened? I read somewhere that she's meant to be doing, like, undercover security stuff, which I actually think is, like, good for her as an intelligence officer, but she was always an intelligence analyst. She was a desk person, not an undercover operative person. But okay, well, what ifs? Now that she's dating Seven, she wants to be an operative. Right. Sounds good. Concept. You know that I've said that I want Michelle Yeoh's Section 31 show to be set after the end of Deep Space Nine and the collapse of Section mm -hmm. 31 there. What if we set it after Picard and Rafi works with Giorgio? The dream. Mm. Mm. Rafi is the stable, moral one. <laughs> I mean... I want it. I want it so badly. I know, I know. They'd be great together. So, yeah, many, many Star Trek shows that we wish we were watching instead of the ones that we have, as per usual. I don't think that's fair. Picard takes up a lot of oxygen, both in promotional energy from Paramount and the fans' reactions, but Discovery and Prodigy both look amazing. Wait, okay, so here's what I'm going to say. Yeah. I cried during the Q&A in the Picard panel because it was a whole two lines of people that just went up and said, charge with the next generation changed my life mm. in this way, blah, 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 blah. You know, I had absent parents and they were the role models that I needed. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life and they gave me a direction. I didn't know I was queer until I watched Star Trek and felt like there was a place for someone like me. All of this stuff, it was very personal and very, like, I, I, and then, like, you know, I, I wasn't represented on screen, but I had Reading Rainbow and, and Jordi LaForge. Like, <laughs> this really wonderful, you know, no, I, it's not, it's not a question, it's a comment. No, I'm going to tell you about my podcast. No, <laughs> have you considered hiring fans? Like, none of that. It was all heartfelt confessions of love <laughs> to these people and part of me is sitting in that room and thinking in 35 years there could be a line of people telling this to the discovery crew yes absolutely and that's not a bad thing i think that as much as picard absolutely and next generation takes a lot of oxygen and a lot of attention. They are passing the baton now. Mm. This is their final, you know, at least their final tour, if not their actual final season. And new fans, you know, I was in my line of happy Star Trek fans, all different ages. The girl next to me was dressed in a Discovery uniform, you know, the little, the blue and gold version. And, you know, talked about how she started with Discovery 
And then she went back and she's in the middle of Voyager. Oh, wow. And it was just, it was Star Trek is bigger than any one crew. Yes. And bigger than any one part of the fandom. And just because we're the ones who are being served right now, because we are the adults that were children mm-hmm. when Next Generation came out, the generation that started with Discovery are going to get, you know, they could get this in 30 years. And that's what I want for them. Agreed. I don't want to be a boomer fan metaphorically clinging on to the stuff that was around when I was a teenager. I love that Janeway is a part of Prodigy and the Janeway-Jacote relationship is part of the background there and bubbling under, but Prodigy is a show for new fans and I'm Mm -hmm, so happy mm -hmm. about that and I can't wait to see what the franchise does next and who it brings in. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, all at antimatterpod. You can write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us and tell your friends. And join us in two weeks when we will be discussing children in Star Trek and the new episode of Star Trek Prodigy, which features children in Star Trek. Yay! For real this time. (laughs) We mean it. Promise. Children, they're coming. Oh, that's terrifying.